You're listening to Gatekeepers from Simmons & Simmons, the gaming and immersive tech team's podcast, bringing you insights within tech, gaming, and the metaverse. Hello, I'm James Cherry from Contentious Tax in London. And I'm Elliot Kim from the corporate and commercial team in the Tokyo office of Simmons. Um, and today we're excited to wind back the clock one year to when we started our foray into the metaverse um, and taking stock of developments that's taken place over the past 12 months. Absolutely. And to do that, we are obviously incredibly excited again to be joined by the same guest that we spoke to a year ago, and that's Matthew Canterman co-host of the exceptional Into the Metaverse podcast. Hello, Matthew. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me back. It's been a while. Absolutely. So last year when we first met, obviously virtually, of course, uh, you were in Hong Kong and working at uh, Bloomberg Intelligence and were a main proponent of the metaverse then. I think not many had really heard about it to those who the, that were uninitiated. But uh, you've since moved on from Bloomberg, ramped up into the metaverse, into just absolutely fantastic podcast. And again, you're back, you're back stateside and in an exciting new role. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, briefly, I'll be working for Ball Metaverse Research Partners, or I am working as the director of research. So uh, Ball Metaverse Research Partners is a, is a financial uh business. It, we currently are already have one product out. It's the index that powers the big METV metaverse uh, ETF that's from Roundhill. So, uh, you know, looking to build out more financial products and investment tools built around the metaverse and then research to accompany it. So that's kind of my mandate. It's quite broad, but it's quite exciting. And it's all metaverse all the time, which is exactly where I want to be. Sounds like a perfect role. Um, so thanks again for making time and coming on as a guest to our podcast. I think maybe as a broad question to start off with. So winding back the clock 12 months ago when the metaverse was, I think, relatively in the minds of few people and before the company formerly known as Facebook, of course, changed its name to Meta, we, we discussed your views of the metaverse then. Um, it'd be interesting to hear, kind of, has your view changed or Meta? better way of saying this, has it evolved at all over the past 12 months? My view overall hasn't changed um, for the long-term view of what we're building towards. What's changed is simply exactly as you said, this went from something that select few people were talking about, and most people said that we were idiots talking about this thing that's never going to happen, to everyone talking about it. And at one point, I believe, I think it was the, the 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 fourth quarter earnings calls for public companies. There was over a thousand mentions of the term metaverse and transcripts, whereas a year ago it was like single digits. So, you know, clearly it went from, I won't say obscure corners of tech, but, you know, corners of tech where people were looking at this and saying, in a decade, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be real to everyone's talking about it all the time. Everyone has to be a metaverse company. Everyone has to have a metaverse strategy to, all right, wait. And then we saw the hype cycle come apart, fall apart in the first half of this year. You've seen it in people talking about the metaverse. You've seen it in, in equity prices of companies like Roblox and Unity. I mean, there's, there's macro factors, but you know, you've seen NVIDIA, all these companies that are quote unquote metaverse winners, metaverse leaders, their stock prices have come down a lot just as they went up in the second half of last year with metaverse hype. So I think where we're at now versus where we were at when we first talked is the hype cycle has come and gone. And actually, if, if you're in this for the long haul and you've believed in the long-term vision all along, that's exciting because whenever there's a hype cycle, whenever something is built up so much, everyone has to be involved in it. 
everyone has to be talking about it. Everyone has to be thinking about it. But they don't really put any substance behind those words. They just throw words out and it's word salad. And it, it's vaporware, as they call it in tech. But now that the hype cycle has kind of died down, we're left with the companies that actually want to build this and actually want to invest and actually want to you know, create something interesting and differentiated. And so I think that's the point we're at now where Epic Games is still going to invest. Facebook Meta, the big difference is that they're spending $10 million a year doing this now, which we can get into the nuance of where that $10 billion is. They were already spending most of that money. They just now reclassified it into a different segment. But regardless, there's a lot of money being invested. The companies that are in, in this for the long haul are still investing lots of money, and that hasn't changed, and that's what keeps me excited. I just want to pick up on, you, know, you mentioned the hype cycle and how things have changed the, top, the past 12 months. I think as lawyers, well, for me anyway, I think obviously interested in the legal aspect of this. And, I, and I'm sure I speak on behalf of many lawyers. I think the first time we really looked into this or introduced this concept was the Epic and Apple litigation. Um, and I know we spoke about this 12 months ago, but um, just very quickly from a legal perspective, perspective, it's been quite interesting tracking the different regulations, especially around antitrust and competition law. Um, and certainly my view has changed, if I can quickly share. So, you know, I think simply then, rather than simply just looking at the big acquisitions like Microsoft and Activision and saying, look, it's another big company just buying all of this IP, or no, it's bad for competition. Um, we've got examples in the UK who the regulator there is actually looking at platforms and looking at, you know, um, digital subscription models and looking to regulate those. I mean, also there's new EU digital markets acts that are trying to do the same thing. So I feel like the regulators are actually moving in a positive direction. Now that's purely from a legal perspective, but I'd be pretty interested to hear your thoughts on, on that. No, I, I totally agree. And, and I think actually before we dive in, what I didn't do is what I do on my podcast, Into the Metaverse, which you can find on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, and YouTube, and check out our Substack. There's the, there's, the, uh, there's the marketing pitch. What I didn't do is actually answer our favorite first question is, what is the metaverse? Because I think there's a lot of people probably listening who hear this term, and it gets bounced around a lot. They think crypto, they think Ready Player One. Um, you know, my, my new colleague and boss at Ball Metaverse Research Partners, Matthew Ball, has a new book coming out at the end of this month, which you can get on Amazon or any of your favorite bookstores. And in there, you know, he flushes it out really succinctly and nicely. And what he says is the metaverse is the successor platform and infrastructure to the current internet. I think that's a really good definition because if you think about the internet today, it's social, mobile, it's mostly 2D in terms of when we interact with stuff, it's on a screen and it's not interactive in the sense that when you interact with content, the nature of the content doesn't change. The metaverse is kind of gamifying the internet, right? So everything becomes 3D, immersive and interactive. And so when you interact with content, the nature of that content inevitably changes. And I think that's kind of what we're building towards. And so when you're talking about regulations and setting the framework for everything, you know, I think it's really important that governments, legislators, regulators, whomever, think about this and get in front of it. Because we look at the last 20 years of the internet. I mean, I know in the U.S. we still regulate the internet with the Communications Act of 1934. I think that's when it was written. I mean, obviously there's been amendments and stuff, but you know, we're using rules that are almost a century old to regulate the internet, right? And so, you know, it it, it does beg the question that you know regulators should be proactive, um, but also collaborative and work with industry and technology to help build this in the right way. 
the internet was built by the defense uh, defense department in the U.S. You know, it was a public-private partnership led by the defense department when it was first built. And I think government's going to play a big role in making sure that this happens in the right way. And so regulators, as opposed to kind of post hoc, you know, putting speed limits on the autobahn as they did in in the in the last era of the internet, in the metaverse era, we need to kind of be looking ahead and saying. What can we do so this grows and shapes in the way that is best for everyone? It's really, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's obviously been particularly with the hype cycle that you're talking about now that everyone's jumping on it. We we found that everyone goes, well, what is it? Why should I really care? Is it really just everyone sort of playing in virtual worlds? That sounds ridiculous. And and you're you're having to just constantly have to re- almost touch up your definition say no no this isn't ridiculous this is so much deeper than that there's so many different facets and sectors and things and obviously that definition is succinct and obviously constantly evolving so it's it's one of those really difficult things and it's interesting that you talk about uh, at least from a US perspective using a sort of 1930 we spoke on another podcast recently about DAOs for example and that in, in at least English law that uses theoretically it's not been tested but case law from 1895 which is just crazy <laughs> you just sort of think okay we really need to start looking at this from a, a perspective where we can see where all of these things are coming I suppose um sort of just moving on a bit we, we've obviously seen sort of more companies being involved in this and getting getting involved and key players that are keeping that I think idea of interoperability alive um, and that sort of touches on this uh, the Apple and Epic case with the walled gardens and with that progression we've seen sort of movements with the Metaverse Standards Forum the Kronos group joining that why are those initiatives so important to this concept of the Metaverse the the good concept not the not the jerry rig to the wall concept <laughs> no it, it's interoperability is table stakes for recognizing this true vision of the metaverse that we want um people talk about interoperability a lot a lot of people automatically think interoperability means blockchain and nfts so if that's you i'm here to tell you you're wrong um interoperability between platforms can mean a lot of different things depending on where in the tech stack you are and if you're just talking about moving cosmetic items from Roblox to Fortnite, sorry, but you don't need an NFT to do that. Is an NFT a elegant way of doing it? Potentially. Is it, you know, it's it's proven now, but it doesn't mean it's the only way. But being able to seamlessly move from platform to platform, have control of your data, have control of your identity. And I think identity is going to become a really important um, you know, feature in the metaverse, particularly when we start talking about the fact that. You know, in the real world, you have one ID because you're one person. But in the metaverse, you might have several different avatars that represent different versions of yourself. And so you're going to have more than one identity. And so being able to port those identities to different places, have control over them same, at the same time, but also separately if you don't want them linked together. And then being able to, you know, as I was saying, go from platform to platform, go from Roblox to Fortnite to some blockchain thing to, to, to meta reality, you know, Horizon, whatever they're building, right? Being able to do that without any friction is what's going to enable this to be really successful. Now, there's going to be companies that don't want that, probably Facebook meta. They probably want to protect the walled garden. I, I, you know, when we look at Epic, you know, it's, they talk the egalitarian talk. They're part of 
um, the new open standards in the metaverse led by the Kronos Group. You know, we interviewed Mark Petit, the head of Unreal Engine on our podcast. You know, he talked about this. He's very big on the open metaverse and interoperability. There's still always the risk that these companies that talk open, open, open eventually go closed when they realize how much money's at stake. And this is kind of the big the big kind of, you know, thing that VCs and investors have to contend with in the metaverse is we have this vision of an egalitarian metaverse, which takes the power and the profit pool away from the platform, but we want to invest in the platform. So you have this trade-off between this egalitarian vision of what we want to build versus the investment return. And I, and I think we still haven't necessarily squared away exactly where that lands. And this is something we talk about a lot on our podcast with, with investors is, you know, where are you looking? What are you thinking about to, you know, kind of to, to bridge that in your mind? And I don't think anyone's fully figured it out. What I do think we know is that a lot of people look at this as kind of field of dreams. If we build it, they will come. And so I do think that interoperability is a big part of just making this vision come to life, because if we don't have it, these platforms remain segregated. We still have walled gardens and nothing changes. Yeah, see, I I tried looking at the sort of metaverse standards forum from sort of a more cynical point of view. And I think that idea, obviously, the idea of interoperability, it's obviously from a sort of utopian perspective, it's absolutely fabulous that we, we can we can all work together in complete harmony. I think the way that I was sort of looking at it, I think it's going to have its own legal problems to navigate. And I look very much at, say, what NVIDIA and, for example, Siemens are doing with their sort of virtual digital twin factories and I think what the metaverse standards forum really could do is start navigating those potential legal problems that could come through particularly with things like product liability what happens when we're all working together we've all created new products we're creating these virtual products that are simulating real real world applications and then we're putting those back into the real world and then we're integrating that with AI and we're integrating that with VR and so on and so on and so on. What happens when those things go wrong? Who Who is liable for something that goes wrong? And I think what really sort of there almost feels like there's an underlying, well, let's actually sit down and start thinking about once we start building these things, let's start apportioning the risk in a correct way and we can all sit down and we can all say, right, that seems sensible from an objective point of view. Let's go that way. Let's also not forget that open standards does not mean open source necessarily, right? And so this is a standards forum. They're going to be setting standards. The internet is built on HTML because HTML was open source. It was made by the government in the US and they made it available to everyone for free. But we look at like cellular infrastructure, right? You know, um, the 5G standard setting body chooses whose patents go into 5G technology, and then they get to extract ridiculous amounts of royalties, Ericsson, Qualcomm, Huawei, et cetera, right? And so is this going to be open source or is this going to be, we're picking winners who are going to extract licensing revenue for the next two decades. And we don't know yet. We'll see what they come up with and what we standardize around and what we open source and what we don't, you know, it's interesting not only who was included in this open standards forum, but who was not included. The two ones or the three ones that jump out to a lot of people and me, Apple, Google, and Roblox were not included among all of the names. I think Roblox is interesting because they do have their own engine. They do have their own stack. They're kind of building their own closed platform. 
they've talked about opening up and they think they see a need to do that eventually. So that's interesting if they ever become a part of this and how that looks. But obviously Apple and Google or Apple and Alphabet, excuse me, <laughs> not being a part of this is also interesting just because they're huge. You'd think they'd want to be a part of something like this, but they're not contributing necessarily right away. So what does that mean about what they're doing versus these other, you know, these other companies that are trying to, you know, standardize it? Are they going to try to build the continue to build closed gardens around their own technology, which is what it looks like. And so, you know, I, I, I think that we're, I, I hope that we're going to uh, open source a lot of this, but I'm worried that it's going to look a lot like cellular infrastructure and just be standardized patents that we're going to, you know, you guys are going to make a lot of money from. <laughs> um, I, I, if I could just pick up on something you mentioned before, um, Matthew, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when you talk about interoperability and this collective vision that we're going towards, the, the kind of sense I was getting was, and I think a lot of people miss out this building block, which is the social movement or the user behavior side of it. Um, and I think that's, to me, as I read more about this and try to understand it, that's really a connecting thread that I do think helps pull together a lot of the different elements. Um, again, very interested to hear kind of your thoughts, if you had any on that particular element or whether I was reading, reading your comments in the wrong way. <laughs> no, 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 you're completely right. And I think about it this way. If quoting Ryan Gill from Crucible in season one of our podcast, if the metaverse is the internet built by game developers, which it kind of is because everything is real-time 3D enabled, which is how a video game is made. Have you ever played a really bad video game for longer than a couple minutes? Or you play it and you're like, this is bad and I'm done. And then you turn it off. Well, if everything is gamified and everything's a video game and everything is that immersive that you has to be interesting and interactive and immersive for you to even want to be there, people are going to be voting with their feet much more than... Facebook today where it's kind of like, all right, I still have it because my grandma's on there and I just, you know, she, she messages me every now and again, not wrong. maybe it's spam, maybe it's not, but you know, I'm there because I'm connecting with my family. <clears throat> so I, I do think that with these metaverse platforms, because everything is going to be gamified, consumers will have more power to walk with their feet and vote with their feet only if you can go somewhere else. I mean, the reason that we still use Facebook and Insta and all of the platforms is because there's nowhere else to go that has the social graph that represents that. But if the social graph is portable and can go from platform to platform, interoperability, uh, seamless interoperability is what enables that. And that's how we break down that barrier. I suppose that, I suppose that's a degree of sort of prediction into the future. And um, I know that we are running short on time and there are so many things that we can talk about. So I think we're going to have to have you back at some point if, if you're all, all good with that. But as we are running out of time, uh, we've looked back into the year. What is your big, bold predict prediction for the metaverse by July 2023? And then we can hold you to it. <laughs> Fun stat. So Roblox's stock price went down about 80% <clears throat> peak to trough. So from like November of last year <clears throat> into the trough this year, it went down about 80%. The stock's up about 85% from the low. I mean, I, th I think a lot of people talked about the way down, but they haven't realized that the recovery, and granted, 85% up after you drop 80% is not a lot of, the, but it's, it's starting to recover. And so I do think that we're seeing a recovery in some of the sentiment around these names. I think people are starting to wake up to, to what this actually means. 
my big bold prediction though, it, it actually isn't that bold, is that, you know, the hype cycle will continue to kind of cool off because we're still a decade away from fully realizing these fully immersive metaverse consumer facing platforms with all of these great features that fully describe what we want, um, you know, that are fully interoperable, but will certain platforms, these proto metaverse gaming platforms that we like to call them, will they continue to evolve and push us towards that vision? Yes. Roblox, Fortnite, we saw Fortnite Creative is really starting to take off now, finally, after a couple of years. That's encouraging because that's a big UGC layer. Um, and let's not also forget, there's a lot of dry powder in the financial community, in the VC side. And even though VC investing has come down, particularly at the later stage, because the IPO market is cooled, we're seeing a lot of activity and growth and a lot of you know earlier growth in seed stage. And Metaverse has stayed very strong. Metaverse, Blockchain, Web3. And if you look at just you know A16Z and Reese and Horowitz, they raised a four and a half billion dollar crypto fund while everything was crashing. They raised a six hundred something million dollar gaming fund while everything was crashing. There's a lot of money available for companies to who have ideas, who have technologies they want to build to raise and build. And so it's a very exciting time from that perspective. So, you know, I guess you could say a big bold prediction is that maybe the future leader of the metaverse at some part of the tech stack is founded this year, just like Uber and Lyft were founded in 2009 in the depths of the GFC. I think this is a great time for companies to really start with great ideas and start building and look for a decade return. Awesome. Gonna have to start looking. <laughs> yeah, I guess we've got 12 months to 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 see whether um, <laughs> yes, see where we get to that. Um thanks so much, Matthew, again for your time and speaking with us. Um the only I think downside is we didn't get enough time to talk more, and I'm sure um uh, time permitting, we would love to have you back. So thank you again from the team at Simmons. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do like and share on whichever platforms you use. Equally, if you have any questions, would like to discuss anything we've talked about, or would be interested in appearing on Gatekeepers, please contact us. You've been listening to Gatekeepers from Simmons and Simmons. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to having you back next time.